I think I have been very lucky that the experiences I had personally and the opportunity opportunities I have to interact with great leaders gave me a great tool set that now helps me to continue being successful. Welcome to Create New Futures, thought-provoking conversations with leaders, experts, and interesting minds. Join us as we explore ideas and reflect on practices that you can use and apply to create and shape the future. With your host, author, and strategy consultant, Aviv Shahar. Welcome to Create New Futures, where we develop conversations with successful leaders and interesting people to explore how you can create new futures for you and for your business. This is Aviv, and today I'm speaking with Miguel Gonzalez, Director of Global Logistics, Procurement, and Operations at DuPont. As we conduct this conversation, it is a public knowledge that DuPont and Dow Chemicals are in merger conversation to create three new companies after they merge. Miguel has internally been announced as the future CPO, Chief Procurement Officer, to one of the three companies. He is a global procurement and supply chain leader with broad experience. His unique skill is in translating complex business needs into strategies that accelerate results in both short and long terms. Miguel has led global teams while living in Spain, the Netherlands, and the U.S., He has a good grasp of changing market conditions and vast experience in building and leading resilient and adaptive teams. I have initially met Miguel when I worked with a senior team at DuPont, and we stayed in the conversation since. Miguel, it's great to have you here. Thank you, Afif. Um, yeah, thank you very much for having me. Well, let me first... congratulate you on the internal at least announcement of uh, your future role and ask you what can you say about the scope of this future responsibility yeah thank you yeah as you say we are in the middle of uh, a potential merger with Dow Chemical we expect to get final approval approval pretty soon and after that we're gonna break into three independent companies As, as you say, I've been named the future CPO for one of the three. And that means I, have, uh, I will have global responsibility for raw materials, indirect, logistics, I mean, all things procurement, including the search service center support for, for that company. Exciting, exciting responsibility. Can you describe what are you working on at this point in time? Right now, it's a, yeah, wearing multiple hats. One, I'm my current day job, global logistics, procurement and operations. At the same time, working on the future organizational design, working on start, you know, preparing for the synergies that we're going to have to deliver once we merge. And now also starting to work on how the future looks like and defining the strategies for the new company once we spin off. That sounds like two or three jobs in one at this point in time. Yeah, I wish I was getting two or three salaries with it. <laughs> exactly. So the, you just touched the, something that I'm going to come back to, this idea of designing the, the future. What I want us to do is to travel first 
to the early influence and uh, of, and your formative years and and then explore how you have developed your career how you have created your future can you describe what was your upbringing like the, the setting and and your experience sure yeah that's an interesting story and I think when people know my upbringing they understand a lot of things of why Miguel is Miguel starting from the beginning I am originally from Spain from Barcelona I grew up in a in a very very low income family in a neighborhood that here in the US we will refer as the projects high unemployment you can imagine I mean a lot of uh, bad surroundings to grow up to make things worse somehow is my father was a police officer then when you are the son of uh, the cop in the neighborhood usually you don't have too many friends <laughs> but yeah but the good thing is I had few but very close we were really a, a you know a pack and uh, you know growing up in that environment it's a it builds character from you know your early years then uh, because of that environment and knowing that My father was not going to be able to afford going to college. I joined the Spanish Navy at the age of 16. And I always say the same, you know, while, you know, one day I was playing G.I. Joe, next day I was going to boot camp. And I went into boot camp as a child. And two months later, I can say I left boot camp as a grown up man because that's how it works. It's brutal. But that's another lesson. It's like when you are in there and, you know, for the next few years, you build again that very small, close pack of friends. And this is kind of like a survival friend. And today we are still best friends. And again, another experience that helped me build character and maturity. After a few years, you know, by the age of 20, I was already But married. But let me let me ask you just a, a, a bit to to expand on this a little bit what were what were the important lessons and formative influences and how did you internalize the the boot camp and and that navy experience what did it cause in you basically it's a you need to build a strategic relationships you need to identify who are those few very few people that They're going to be important in your life. You're going to depend on them. They're going to depend on you. And you build that trust that will help you get over almost anything. And then later in life, both personally and professionally, you know, like in this environment, when you identify those strategic partners, call them suppliers or internal stakeholders, those are the ones that will help you be successful in life. And what happens then? How long do you stay in the Navy? I was there six years, age 16 to 22. While I was in the Navy, I got married. I had one son. Then uh, I decided to leave the Navy because I, you know, I wanted to have a family and those two were not compatible. Then I left the Navy. I went unemployed. A few months later, I was working two jobs, one in the morning, one in the afternoon. I had to feed my family. It was hard. It was pretty hard for two, three years, but... Again, it's one of those experiences that helps you build character again, 
and maturity. Then by age 23, 24, when most people were in college having fun, um, not too many responsibilities. I was already eight, nine years in the workforce. I had a family to feed. Then I, I had an early maturity. And what are your aspirations? What are your dreams at this point? You're working two jobs to support your family. And inside your head, you are envisioning and you're dreaming of what? You start dreaming because what happened, you know, it's a, I started my little own company and you dream of, I'm going to be a millionaire and I'm going to really make it. And then you realize that there are months you don't even make ends meet. Then uh, a lot of concerns when you look at your kid and your wife and we are struggling. Then again, it's a point where in your life, the most important thing is a security, you know, security of an income and making sure that we can have a, you know, basic quality of life. And so how do you get from there to gaining entry into a corporate experience and corporate career? What, what is the journey that leads you next? And this is a great, great story because, again, it's how critical conversation, a relationship with somebody that at that very point may not look meaningful, it may change your life. One of my customers, you know, when I was in my little company about computers, I was building computers, a guy one day buys me a computer, Couple of weeks later, he calls me, come home, you know, something is wrong. I get there, I fix his computer, and we talk, and we get to know each other. And a couple months later, he calls me and says, hey, Miguel, you told me you were in the Navy, you speak English, all these things. You know, this weekend in the newspaper, there's going to be an advertisement that General Electric Plastics is going to build a new plant here, and they're going to be looking for operators and people that speak English. And next Sunday, I bought the newspaper that I usually never buy newspapers. I see the ad, apply. I mean, long story short, I got the job. And that job with GE Plastic changed my life. Wow. The, the beauty of this story is the serendipity, but it's, it's not serendipity without help. What enabled that serendipity to find you is you were first serving that customer in a way that left an impression with him such that when he felt that there was a piece of information, a lead that could be meaningful for you, he reached out and shared that with you. And, and the, the, the lesson there is every moment in life and every moment in a business life is a moment of truth because you never know how simple conversation, a moment of conversation can carry the potential for new doors to open for you tomorrow. Absolutely, Afif. And I think we all have those where you are in a plane sitting with somebody, you are just somewhere, and that conversation may lead to a life-changing event. You never know. You sound like <laughs> you sound like you read Create New Futures, where I, <laughs> where I do discuss uh, a, a few of these uh, uh, conversations. So you are then... All of a sudden, you find yourself in at General Electric. Tell me about that experience and, and how are you proceeding and discovering yourself all of a sudden in a very large enterprise uh, like GE? Yeah, and as I said, that changed my life. GE, amazing company. I'm talking the days of Jack Welch. And if there is something I learned 
on my GE days is about leadership, it's about change, it's about continuous learning. And, you know, being one of the first few employees, I had a lot of opportunities to grow up professionally and in my career. I was given an opportunity to join procurement very early, and I found that that was my thing. Love it. Then when Six Sigma came to GE, I realized that was the next big thing, and I become Six Sigma Black Belt. And that opened the door for me to move to the Netherlands, to join the Six Sigma team in headquarters. And you take it from them, and you keep doing the same. Keep a mind open, keep learning, look what is the next big thing, and any experience, learn from it. The rest, it's it's set for you. So it sounds to me that what you're describing is that an experience in a large company like GE for you meant recognizing an opportunity, embracing the opportunity, and with that, taking in tremendous amount of learning, and that leads to the next opportunity and, and the one after that. So how, what do you know about how you learn best? Describe some of those early learning experiences and how did you approach engaging with, with a new challenge, with a new domain of knowledge, and embracing the learning opportunity in it? it uh, I mean, in one sense, uh, I'm good with, uh, with computer systems and I'm always out there. I, you know, download a lot of white papers, read when you have those dull moments at the airport, flying or things like that. I try to read books also, uh, always non-fiction books. I don't remember the last time I was reading a, a fiction book. And when I read those books, it's, I, you know, it's one of those techniques. I scan through pages quite fast. I'm looking for all these keywords and then boom, something catches my attention, I go back, then I read that page, that paragraph. I highlight things, I write things in books. My wife hates when they, when she sees me turning those corner pages or like sticking posits all over the book. But I always keep them handy when I do mentoring or I talk to people. I many times go back to the book and I open it and read that phrase or give it a book to somebody and you know read it and make it easier for them, it's already highlighted. But I guess the overall concept is I'm big on benchmarking, best practices, learning from whoever. I mean, it's a, how they say, still with pride. I don't have to reinvent the wheel. Then when you see how there are so many books, so many people, so many other companies doing great things, reach out, find out how they did it. Learn from it, copy, paste, apply. So you're highlighting two main modes of of learning for you one is by reading and one is by discovering about best practices from from others and i i think if i understand correctly you have two modes of reading you have a scanning reading where you quickly scan a page and you highlight keywords and key ideas and then you go and reread and read it slowly and internalize the key idea in a deeper way, and then you you do a third thing, which is you use those phrases or paragraphs that you highlighted in a work situation, such that you take it from the page to bring it to life in a in a real experience, in a real context uh, where the idea can be implemented. Um, am I describing that process correctly? That's absolutely correct. When you reflect on this 
early stage in GE, what are some of the important learnings about leadership that you are internalizing uh, from, from the, the people around you and from the GE culture? Wow, great, great question. Because I, I think GE is well recognized about leadership overall, but I have been lucky enough to meet and have an opportunity to work with many great leaders outside of GE. And the good thing is everyone had their style. The GE style was very successful, but it was quite similar. It was the GE way of doing things. But then other companies, other industries, industry, different countries, different cultures, everyone had something. Then I, I many times refer, you know, when I talk to people about the toolbox, you know, when you're born, when you start your life and your professional and personal life, you are given a toolbox and it's empty. And along the way, every time you have an experience, personal or professional, good or bad, you develop a tool and you put it in your toolbox. The more experiences you have in life, your toolbox is going to be better and greater in a way that one day when you need to do something, when you have to confront adversity, the more and better tools you have, the more successful you will be. And as I, I think I have been very lucky that the experiences I had personally and the opportunity opportunities I have to interact with great leaders gave me a great tool set that now helps me to continue being successful. So give me, if you can, a concrete example of an experience. Perhaps uh, it's after GE when you move to a new company. What's a concrete example of an experience that you then convert into a tool that you can then use later in a, in a whole new way? Well, I have many, but let me think one because uh, probably a lot of people can uh, relate to that. It's the... Uh, after GE, I was working for another company, and there was a point in time where we had to do one of those reductions in force. You are being asked by leadership, you need to take 10% of your team out. This is hard. You have been there, you know how difficult, because you're not talking about people not performing, people having issues. No, I mean, you're talking a great team, but this is it. You have to take 10%. That's first time I had to do it. You have a leader just besides you, leading you all the way, how to do it right, how to care about people, how to make sure you do the right thing for the company and the individuals, how do you communicate, and you do the best you can. And that's something you don't learn in books or in college. It's something that you have to do it once, you learn from it, and you have the opportunity to do it with a great leader. Next time, you can do it by yourself. Mm. Hopefully you never have to do it, but if you have to, it helps. Yes, yes, it's one of the toughest, if not the toughest uh, thing for a leader is to let some of uh, your people go because the company expects you as a leader to simply reduce the force, the workforce. How did you discover what you are good at and how did you discover that procurement and supply chain was an interesting and stimulating area for you to focus on? Oh, good question. It's a, yeah, probably it's the first time I guess I realized something I'm good at. It's a, when I was in the Navy, I got myself in trouble a couple times. 
you know, where I was probably not doing the right thing. And, you know, the officer calls you and it's one of those, like, you can be in trouble. And I was able to talk my way out of it. And it's kind of like, wow, I'm good at telling things and spinning things and just using arguments to change what happened and even somehow even look good. Then I think like, uh, you know, I have something good there. And then as I was, uh, you know, on my, I had my own company, as I said before, for a couple of years, and I had to do sales, I had to do procurement, and you have to do everything. But at the end, you have to build a lot of relationships, both sales, procurement, you know. And at the same time, I realized I was very good with computers and software and systems. And then you put all that together, and it's kind of like a good at interpersonal skills, good with negotiation skills, good with data, good with systems. You put all that together, and I think that defines Miguel pretty well. Interesting how this early Navy experience reveals to you that you have skill and capability in influencing, in building relationships, in building trust, and, and in influencing, in this case, your superior to change their opinion and, and view of you. And that leads you later uh, into building the, this portfolio of capabilities. And so what happens after uh, GE? What were the, the other companies that you worked for? I, yeah, I worked with GE, GE Plastics, eight years five in Spain, then three in the Netherlands. Then I changed companies to Nalco. It's a water treatment company, Nalco Chemical. One year in the Netherlands. Then with Nalco, I came to the U.S. And I spent another nine for a total of 10 years with Nalco in different roles, procurement, logistics, supply chain. After that, I went to Kraft Foods for procurement logistics role for four years. And then two years ago, I joined DuPont. And here I have a procurement logistics role. And the good thing about DuPont, it's a, you know, it's a little bit of everything. It's industrial, it's food, it's chemicals. And I guess that the different industries I had my experience before, all in one. So you have worked in a number of uh, large companies. What are the, the key learnings, the key principles that you have codified for yourself about getting results when you're operating in a large, complex environment of a large company? It's interesting because among all those companies, I work for very large companies like GE. Nalco was much smaller, mostly global companies. Kraft was global, then became only North America. Sometimes private. Nalco went private for a while. Most times public companies, different industries. Then you will say like, oh, every one of them is at different situation and, and it's not. At the end, it's all down to the same. It's about understanding the strategies, getting to know who are the key stakeholders, what is important, aligning, communicating, building the right network, internal and external. You put it all together. It doesn't matter if you're selling food or you're selling chemicals. doesn't matter if you are in logistics, you are in procurement. It's always about the same basics. It's about understanding who you serve and what is the unique differentiation that you will focus on in your strategy 
and how to implement that strategy in the most effective way with the resources and the workforce available for you. There is a book, I refer to that book many times, that it really helped me change, you know, because in my early stages of my career, it's, um, you know, a lot of being the individual contributor, a lot of, you know, hardworking. But as you grow up, you change. You become more of a leader, less of a manager. Now you have to influence people, not just ask them to do the job or you do it yourself. Then you, I'm sure you know the book is a, what got you here won't get you there. Mm-hmm. And it's those 20 habits. And I, I will have problem to remember how many people I have recommended that book. And I think as we need sometimes in our career, make that change from who we have been. And yeah, we were successful and we came here because of what our strengths. There is a point in life we you have to change to get to the next level. If you needed to point to the one or two or perhaps three most important behaviors that you have internalized as a leader and as a manager that enabled your success, what would you highlight? What is the, the one or two or three key behaviors? One, and probably the most important one, is, is, is trust. It, you have to build trust. I usually, when I join a new team or even a relationship, I start trusting by default. And yes, a couple times I got burned out and it hurts, but it still is worth it because many, many other times when you open your heart and you are honest with people, when you everything you do, you do it in a transparent way and great communication, that tells. And then people open up to you and then that helps you to build a strong strategic relationships. That's fascinating. What I think what you're describing is that there are two ways to approach trust in the professional context, both internally with people you work with and also with suppliers and, and customers. You can either give the benefit of trust as a starting point until such time as you're proven wrong and then trust is withdrawn or you say, no, you first have to earn my trust before I am prepared to give you that trust. And your choice by experience in terms of how it enabled you to get results was that you will first give trust until such time as you're proven wrong and then trust is withdrawn. I believe in first giving before asking. And would you say that's part of your leadership approach in terms of how you manage your people also? I will say, um, you know, it will be great asking my team, but based on the feedback, I believe it's, it's not only my leadership, I believe it's my DNA. This is Miguel, it's Miguel, because that's the basics of how do I approach relationships. So if trust is number one, what would you highlight as number two? It goes very close with trust, it's communication open communication. If there is a feedback I get many times from my teams, it's um, open. I say things like they are. And I don't wait for the mid-year or GNA reviews. It's continuous. It could happen just right now we're talking about something and then I'll tell you something that I may or may not be happy, but it's continuous constructive feedback. 
You have shared with me in the past that uh, one of your passions is learning and discovering and appreciating different cultures and traveling to, to new places, sometimes exotic places, to, to see how different people approach life. And tell me why and, and what is it about appreciating cultures that is, is so interesting and enjoyable for you? Very good question. And, and I'm going to make even one comment on that one because many people think about getting to know other cultures means you need to, you know, go travel the world and you don't have to. It's around the corner from you. You just need to seek out. When we were living in the Netherlands, it's a multicultural environment. We had an opportunity to make many friends from Middle East, Afghanistan, Iran, Africa, most of them political refugees, great opportunity to get to know them. And we learn so much. Here in the U.S., same. I mean, there is so many cultures around us every day. And to make things even better, it's a, my wife here in Delaware, she's a member of the Delaware International Women's Club. They get together quite often. We have a lot of events. You get exposed to culture from all over the world. And what I really like, it's always ask them what's different when they come here to the U.S. or any other country, what they find intriguing. For the good at the bad, sometimes it's like, oh, I cannot believe you guys do this. Why? Oh, because in my country, you cannot do this. This is what you have to do. Mostly, mostly when you talk about cultures from like Middle East or Asia, that is so different from us. And then food, always those events, always, I think it's part of a, a lot of cultures is the, is the food and talking around food, amazing. And, you know, I I'm, I'm enjoy eating and trying different things. But then you put all that and apply them to the professional world where in this global economy, you have to interact with people from all over the world. And then as you break eyes, you know, you always make a comment around something about the culture. Wow, that opens. And then as you interact with them, you know the things that you should or should not do as you communicate. And, you know, that helps a lot, builds the relationship, but also it makes you a more successful professional. Yes. You shared uh, with me before we started the recording that you have recently read uh, Create New Futures and, and that you, as you explained earlier, you, you marked many pages. What's one or two things that were most meaningful for you uh, in reading Create New Futures? Yeah, and as I told you, it's a, yeah, I have a lot of yellow highlights and a lot of posits, but I mean, there are two or three, but probably one that, uh, you know, a couple of you, if I may, it's a, there is one, I believe is Portal, yeah, Portal 4, and there are you the commercial airline captain or the day trader on Wall Street. And there's a couple of references, you know, as uh, the airline captain is safety first. And for me, having worked many times in chemical and industrial manufacturing environment, safety obviously, obviously is number first. But then as I work in procurement and in the commercial part of the business, you know, the other quote around, there are winners and losers. To get ahead, you must reduce your losses and increase your wins. But the point is, you're not going to win them all. Then it's about how do you deal with it and how do you manage and make sure that at the end, overall, you are ahead. There is another quote here. It's a great leaders challenge our thinking 
by defying the status quo. And we were making a reference before about GE, and GE, besides leadership, GE was about change. We will challenge everything. And I think that was part of the success of, of GE. Then, uh, yeah, when I see that, it's a, I like it. And the last one in this chapter I have here is leaders facilitate the dialogue that frees people from becoming stuck in yesterday. Right. And this is so right. I'm, I'm so tired when I hear people, oh, because 20 years ago, or this is the way we always have done it. Get over it. Yes. Well, the first thing you pointed to, I believe, is when I talk about mental models and the idea that uh, is associated with mental models is that these are the operating systems in, in our mind in terms of how we see the world we operate in and how we interact with that world and what is specifically the, the modus operandi that we choose inside the scenery that we find ourselves in and the way we paint that scenery. And the distinction between the airline captain and the day trader, what that highlights is the idea that we each have our personal values and our personal importances. And then there are also professional values, functional values that are most pertinent to the different function that you operate in. Like as you example in how you commented about safety, I know that in DuPont, every meeting begins with a safety moment, a moment of appreciating the core values of safety and other core values such that these are not just words on a slide, but something that people exhibit in behavior. That's a way to catalyze in a deep way the core values. The, the point in this is to recognize that we have personal values and then there are the values that go with a function or with a role or with the space that you operate in that are most relevant. And, and those two value sets must have alignment and must have congruency or else you find yourself working in a place that is in conflict with what's important for you and how you see life. Uh, so, absolutely. You're right. I mean, I, it has to become part of your culture or the company culture. How do you bring to your parenting, your professional experience, how do you impart to your children some of uh, your journey? Because you came from a very, as you shared, very modest beginning, and you're now in a different place in life, and you're raising a family in a different kind of environment. How do you communicate and, and bring to them what's important for you at the same time, providing them with an opportunity to discover what's going to be important for them? Wow, great question. And I guess it's a, as a father, as a parent, and, you know, after going what I went through in my early days, for sure you don't want your kids to have to do anything close. But also at the same time, you don't want to spoil them. Then you need to find, find the right balance. It's a, they have been, I would say, exposed to me every day. 
and I believe they are who they are. Thanks to that, I mean, I have two great kids. I, I can tell you I have been blessed, always out of trouble. They're going to go places. But when you think about they had to go through two international moves, learn two languages plus Spanish, make friends. Every time we move around, new friends. That builds personality. That builds character. And now when I see them interacting, both in their personal but now in their professional lives, I know they're going to be successful. Then you try to do the best you can, keep them out of trouble, not spoil them. But at the end, it's about the life experiences. It's not about what they will learn in the books. That will help. But uh, try to maximize their exposure to the outside world. Yeah, it's interesting the way you position it because there is a, there is a line through what you spoke to earlier in the idea that leaders are leaders are leaders because they release others to their potential and to their opportunities. And in some way, that's also true in parenting. We're here to enable and release the potential and, and the opportunities of the next generation. And to me, that's the unifying principle that uh, bridges parenting and leadership. And I know you have shared with me that you feel passionate about bringing and developing talent and investing in talent. Describe to me why that is so important for you and how do you approach investing uh, in mentoring and coaching people working for you? I don't know if I'll say it's, a, it's my calling or it's a passion. I love to do that full time one day. I believe it's a, there is a point in life where now it's about giving back. But, uh, you know, over my years, I love it. I love and because I use, you see how can you influence people, mostly in the early stages. And then you see them growing up and they're successful. And the question they ask, and how can you direct them to be even more successful? And uh, looks like I, I do it, and I do it right. I get a lot of good feedback. Uh, it, there, I'm in a point where I had to limit the number of mentees I have, because when I do this, I want to do it right. And this requires uh, investment, time investment. Then I usually have to limit to three, four people. I could do, you know, ad hoc here, there, one meeting, but kind of like a, under a mentor-mentee program, I have to limit myself. But even with my direct reports, always trying to provide feedback. And, you know, this is kind of like a perfect timing because I'm right now so proud of uh, one of the people that was working, recently working for me. One of, you know, as we were doing coaching and mentoring and, you know, helping him, I always tell him a couple of things. And one of the things I will continue telling him is, hey, 80% is good enough. There is a point where you need to take action, pull the trigger, 80% of information, move. You cannot wait until you have 99% of the, of the data you need. And then a few months ago, he left. Great opportunity, different company. And two weeks ago, he sent me a text message. And he starts, Miguel, you were right. 80% is good enough. And then I reply, ha, 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 what's going on? And then he say, I just got promoted to director. He made my day. That's it. That's, that's what I live for. You know, I've in the years heard this from so many 
people in, in leadership. You never know how a simple idea or a simple principle you share and convey to somebody working for you, how meaningful and impactful that can be either on point at the same day or sometimes three months or three years later. And, yep. uh, and, and uh, if you show up to work with this idea that you are here to help others be successful and help others release their skill and talent and, and natural brilliance, then it makes for a lot better and, and more interesting uh, work experience because amidst the frustration and the aggravation of the dysfunction that often is present in many large companies, there is something else in the end of the day. It is about people trying to get up in the morning and, and do the best work that they can do to create the most meaningful contribution that, that they can create. Uh, so it's a great story. Where will you be, Miguel, 10 years from now? Wow. Okay. It's a, as I'd say, it's a corporated grade. I guess there is a point where you have to do something else with your life, more about, you know, following your passions, giving back. Probably a couple of things, ideas, you know, you never know. I always say you need you, you have to plan, but you have to be ready because life will change your plans and you need to plan again. But probably something related to this uh, coaching, mentoring, giving back could be teaching at a university, maybe about working with somebody about coaching and mentoring, sharing my experience, sharing my, what I know, what I'm good at, and making sure that, you know, those people develop, probably more focusing on early career professionals, where I believe I can have a major impact and see greater results. But one way or the other, it, it will be working with people. Miguel, this is a rich exploration with you today. as we bring this to lending. What parting wisdom do you want to offer to people listening to uh, create new futures? I'm going to make an analogy and I'm going to tell you why. And my team heard me say that so many times. It's uh, when you approach a strategic relationships and at the end, that's you know, what we have been talking about. You have to approach it like when in life you get married to somebody. Okay, you go, you know, through the dating, you go through the engagement, and at the end, when you think you found the one, you get married. The success for marriage, and I'm not going to say I have, you know, the keys to success, but if I could give advice, it's about trust and communication. When you trust your partner and you have a very open communication, you can get over adversity, there will be bumps on the road, you will be able to get over. If one is missing, you know as soon as something happens, marriage will break. Professional relationships are the same. If you approach the relationship with trust and good communication, you will get over it. And I said that many with many people, it's I found the one, I was lucky enough to find my wife 32 years ago, and I married her twice. I married her 28 years ago, and I married her again three years ago. Kind of like a, I found my perfect partner, and I wanted to commit again to reinforce that I 
I found it. You actually, for real, reconducted a, cer- a ceremony three years ago? Or it was more in yeah. internal? Yeah, on our... Because knowing what you know now, it's, our first wedding was very poor. It's really kind of like, a, you know... I mean, it was lovely, but we didn't have the means. Then I always say, one day when I can, I'm going to give you the wedding you deserve. And then for our 25th anniversary, then we did, we did it the right way. I would uh, restate a little bit uh, the way you framed this idea about relationship, both in the, the personal and the professional way, by proposing the following, which is that every relationship is a conversation, and not just any conversation, a learning conversation. The way you have been able to sustain more than 30 years of marriage is through conversation in which you learn about each other and you learn about yourself. And in a similar way, in the professional arena, we are successful when the people we work with internally within our teams and in terms of the suppliers and partners that we engage in, when those are fulfilling interactions when they are learning conversations. We learn about each other, we learn about ourselves, and we learn how we can help each other be successful. Uh, that's, that's the essence that, that I feel you capture in, in what uh, you said. I, I simply restate it with this idea of a learning conversation. Absolutely. I could not say it better. Thank you so much, uh, Miguel. Thank you again for having me. Love to share my experiences. And uh, again, thank you for the opportunity. Here we are. We've landed this Create New Futures journey. And it's your time to take action. Here are a few steps you can take this week. First, be present in the moment to offer your best. In life and in business, every moment is a moment of truth. And every moment has the potential to open new doors. Second, build strategic relationships and they will last a lifetime for you. Cultivate trust, mutual respect and open communication. The return on trust and open communication is exponential. Third, seek out new experiences. As Miguel suggested, By engaging in new experiences, you engender new learning and put new tools in your toolbox. The more experiences you have, the more versatile is your toolbox and the greater your capacity to contribute. One more thing. You can reach me directly by phone and on email to explore how we can help you and your team create your new future. See you next time.